Well, good morning. Good morning to those of you joining us online. Well, are you ready for Christmas? That's kind of a trick question, isn't it? Yeah. No, I don't think any of us are ready. Will we ever be ready? Um, in 1960s, an interesting experiment was conducted by a psychologist named Walter Mitchell. What Mitchell did is he took four-year-olds, a group of four-year-olds, and the, the basis of the experiment was to test these children and then to follow them through their schooling to see how they performed. Okay, here was the test. <laughs> Each of the child was put in a room, left by themselves, with a plate and a marshmallow. Now, the child was told, what, any of you go through this test when you were, no, probably not. Okay, the child was told if they waited 20 minutes, then they would get another marshmallow, okay? Um, of course, several of the children went ahead and ate the marshmallow. Uh, real interesting, if you know, read the whole report, some of the kids would smell the mar marshmallow, push it around the plate. Uh, one kid licked the marshmallow, didn't eat it, but licked it. And um, then they followed the kids through their school. Um, they would uh, interview the parents, interview teachers to see how their development went. Here's what they found, about, found out about these kids. Um, those who waited for 20 minutes. Now, for a four-year-old, that is like forever, okay? Um, they were better adjusted, more dependable. They scored an average of 210 points higher on their SAT. Man, I, I wish I had gone through the test because I, I needed those 210 points. Um, and I guess, you know, how would you have done on the marshmallow test? Even today, would you be able to sit in front of a plate, hungry, with a marshmallow sitting there, and someone saying, you gotta wait 20 minutes before you eat this, or better yet, let's say it's a piece of chocolate pie, or a bowl of, for me, would be a bowl of ice cream, and would you be able to do it? Nope. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that not only would I, I would have been sent home, because not only would I have eaten the marshmallow, I probably would have tried to steal the marshmallows from the other kids. <laughs> I'm not very good at waiting. I, I don't like, I get cranky waiting in line at the grocery store or some department store. So consequently, when I go to the grocery store, I'm cranky. Waiting is just not something I like to do. I wanna, I wanna move ahead, I wanna get it done, I want the next thing. I want, you know, it's, what, what's next? What's next, what's next? Waiting for me is stressful. And you can just imagine what I was like as a, as a kid. Is it Christmas yet? Is it Christmas yet? And of course, torture was watching my mother put those presents underneath the Christmas tree and not knowing what they were. And of course, you know what I would do, don't you? Any of you done this? 
I would get up in the middle of the night, sneak in, and I would open the end of the, of, of the present to see what it was, and then I would try to put the tape back, okay? Um, my mother figured it out, of course, and uh, I can't remember what age I was. I was like eight or nine years old. She said to me, if, if I find another present that shows evidence that the tape has been removed and put back, I'm going to take it back. So I was much more careful after that. <laughs> Waiting. Waiting. In the church, we call the four Sundays leading up to Christmas the season of Advent. Now, I, I have to admit to you that I, I grew up in a church that really didn't celebrate the seasons of the year. And so I was in seminary before I even knew what Advent was. You know, what, what is this four Sundays called Advent? And what I learned is that Advent is a time of waiting, of anticipation, of preparation. It's a time of introspection as we get ready for the celebration of the birth of our Lord. The problem is, is that most Advents are not so much full of waiting, preparation, spiritual renewal, but rather it is full of decorating our houses and buying presents and getting ready for parties and making sure that our schedule is set and that we don't miss something and going to other activities and taking our kids to their, to their programs. And it becomes busier and busier until <laughs> our spiritual preparation gets pushed to the side. Advent, this time of preparation, is our opportunity to prepare our hearts. And, and the question before all of us is, how well are we going to do? Are we going to be able to wait without eating the marshmallow? <laughs> In the same way, there was a time of preparation for the birth of Jesus. Joseph, you know, who discovers that his wife is pregnant, his betrothed is pregnant, and he receives a, 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 a dream and, and an angel and, and telling him how he is to, to, to move forward. We, in Luke, we hear the story of Mary and, and her celebration of what is happening inside of her body, the, the, the prophecy of Zechariah trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem there was preparation not the kind of preparation that would normally take place for a birth for this child was different so this advent how will we prepare for the birth of Jesus how will we hear the message of our Lord Will we stay awake? Will we watch? Will we prepare? Let's pray. Lord God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our Redeemer. For all that I misspeak, O oh God, may you correct it in our hearing. And for all that I fail to speak, O oh God, may you fulfill it, Lord, in our spirit. 
that this day we may hear your word for us, to inspire us, to move us, to prepare us for your coming. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each of the Gospels have a unique beginning. They each begin differently. And and it's not that they disagree with each other. They just take a different perspective in how they're looking at it. And Matthew looks at the birth of Jesus from Joseph's perspective. It's a rather short uh, narrative about Joseph. And basically it revolves around Joseph discovering that Mary is pregnant and that he's betrothed to her. And so he's going to put her away silently so without embarrassment. And an angel of the Lord comes to him in a dream and instructs him otherwise. That this child is of the Holy Spirit. And that the one within her womb is the one that all had been waiting for, Emmanuel. Luke takes the perspective of Mary and tells the story from Mary's perspective. It's much longer than the story than what Matthew gives us. It's there's a long session, a long segment where Mary sings this song called the Magnificat about the, what is happening within her womb. We hear the story of Elizabeth, her cousin, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, and the prophecy of Zechariah. Mark gives us nothing of the early, uh, the birth of Jesus or the early years of Jesus. He begins with the ministry of Jesus. It is the shortest of the Gospels. And it's not that Mark has no interest in the incarnation or the birth of Jesus. It's that he is on a path to get to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. John, the Gospel of John, which is my favorite of all the Gospels, is in some ways more philosophical than the other three. In some ways, it's more edgy in how John pushes us with his, with his Gospel. John begins his Gospel with, a, not with the birth, but with an explanation of who Jesus is. He begins with the talk of life, the word becoming flesh, the life that comes with the birth of Jesus. John recognizes Jesus as the one who bridges the gap between God and humanity. And from the beginning to the end of his gospel, he is painting a picture of this, of this bridge that Jesus, the divine human incarnation of God with us, is offering new life and new hope. For me, one of the striking features of chapter 1 is the, um, the number of names that John uses to describe Jesus. Um, we almost miss it. The narrative there in the first chapter of John is so compelling with the mixture of John the Baptist and Jesus calling some of the disciples and Andrew introducing Peter uh, to Jesus. We almost miss the different ways that John describes Jesus. In verse 1, he is the Word. Life in verse 4. Light in verse 4 and 5. Messiah in verse 20 and 41. The prophet in verse 21. Jesus in verse 29. The Lamb of God in 29 and 36. The one who baptizes with the Spirit in verse 33. 
the chosen son of God in verse 34, rabbi, teacher in verse 38 and 49, Christ, the anointed one in 41, the son of Joseph in verse 45, the Nazarene in verse 45, the son of God in verse 49, the king of Israel, the son of man. As I looked at those different names that John used, I realized that John knows that there is no one name that can describe Jesus. There is no one name that can capture the divinity of Jesus. There is no one human word that can define who Jesus is. No one name can describe his purpose. No one name can express what is coming and continues to come for all of us. This is not just a one-time event that took place in, in, in the Holy Land, in Bethlehem, 2,000 years ago. This is ours. All of these names of Jesus revolve around the proclamation of John the Baptist where he says, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. Now for the Jew, they understood what that meant. The lamb was the sacrifice of atonement. The lamb was the sacrifice of, of, to, to get the forgiveness of sins. The lamb was that which made oneself right. It was the ultimate sacrifice between a human and God. For John to say that Jesus is the lamb of God, he's saying to us that Jesus is the bridge. He is that which connects us to God like no other. And there is no other. Here is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It's about this time that two disciples of John the Baptist are following him. And they hear these words and they turn to Jesus. And Jesus says his first words as recorded by the Gospel of John. What do you seek? In the Greek, it is a very direct, penetrating question. Greek kind of has this way of using verbs that, uh, you know, indicate passive, aggressive. That kinda, this is an aggressive question that Jesus is asking. What do you seek? And implied within it is, what do you seek? What cause are you after? What security do you need? Implied there is, do you have any idea who I am? What I'm about? And what the cost will be. In some ways, he's asking us the same question today. Do we really know who this Jesus is? Are we so captured by the romance of the baby and the angels and the shepherds that we miss the life-changing impact of inviting Jesus into our hearts? In verse 38, they come back at Jesus with another question. He said, where are you staying? That's kind of interesting. Where are you staying? <laughs> you know, Jesus basically asking, you know, do you know who you're talking to? Do you know what you want? Do you know what your purpose is? Where are you staying? 
Well, that question itself, it's not a question that asks for an address. They're asking Jesus back, what's your purpose? Where are you staying? Can we go there? They're basically saying, can we follow you? And Jesus' response is come and see. Now, Jesus could have taken the moment and could have gone into an explanation, you know, of, of who he was, what his purpose was. But Jesus knew, and I believe what John is trying to share with us, is that there is no way to truly know Jesus with words. It is only through an experience, through opening our eyes to see. In fact, when we look at chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, 12 times, 12 times some form of the word see is used in the first chapter. 12 times. Do you think John is trying to tell us something here? You know, do you think John is trying to say, open your eyes for goodness sakes. Open your eyes for there is something right in front of you that is so life-changing and so incredible that nothing else compares to it. Come and see. Come and see. So what about this weekend? This first Sunday of Advent. This first Sunday of waiting. Can we wait? Or we just want to reach out and grab that <laughs> marshmallow and pop it in our mouth prematurely without the full impact of what God has for us. I believe that the shopping, the parties, the planning, the decorating can be a means to distract. I know it has been for me. I get so busy during Christmas. You know, I'm so busy. I'm, so, I'm going here and there and yonder. There is so much to do. It is a distraction at times. As long as we're busy, we don't have to think or feel or see what Jesus has for us. It deadens our senses. It deadens the hope of the season. And we <laughs> just wish that this season would pass with the least amount of harm, especially to our credit card account. That's not what this season is about, is it? It's about opening our eyes. It's about waiting to see what Jesus has for us. And so this year, I invite you to expect more. Expect more. With anticipation, see what Jesus can do in your life. Even in the shopping what is it that God is trying to show me as I shop for my grandkids who are impossible to, to shop for? Even in the schedules and the parties, what is God trying to show me? What can I see? Where is God in this? To constantly be asking the question, what is God trying to show me? What, how is God trying to change my heart? 
in the chaos that is the month of December. For God wants to do something in our lives that is beyond imagination. God comes at the most unexpected time in the most unexpected way to touch our lives. This season of Advent is our wake-up call, an invitation to see in such a way that our heart will be changed. John wants us to know that this change that's happening to John the Baptist, Nathaniel, Andrew, Peter, and Philip can happen to us. Now, they were ready. They were ready to experience the Messiah, the incredible nature of what Jesus was doing through them and for them. And they were ready to respond to the call, come and see. For when we experience, I think that's a point that I'm supposed to, this is really, you're supposed to listen right now. Sorry about that. I don't know whose phone went off, but. So here, I'm going to say it twice. When we experience Christ, we are never the same again. When we experience Christ, we are never the same again. And when we do, Christmas is far more than shopping and decorating and parties and cooking. In fact, sometimes those may be a little bit irritating because they're really separating us from what's most important about this season. For I believe in a God who is still alive, making all things new. Come and see. I believe in a God who is speaking through people every day. Come and see. I believe in a God that is exciting and new every day. Come and see. I believe in a God that is walking the halls of the schools and courthouses, even when no one speaks his name. Come and see. I believe in a God who sits in the boardroom, the living room, the classroom, the locker room, and in, in, in every room, even when those speak ill of his name. Come and see. I believe in a God who is ready to partner with a person who dares to imagine things as they could be. Come and see. I believe in a God who uses churches to do God's incredible life-giving work. Come and see. Open your eyes that we may together see something so incredible this season that we can do no other than be changed. Come and see.